I learn about this school called ISTA, International School of Temple Arts, and they've got sexuality trainings, sexuality, spirituality, and shamanism. That's what it's called. And so anyway, I read the thing and I was just like, it, it just evoked all this stuff inside of me. I was like, because that was the bit you hadn't looked at. Hadn't at fully integrated. Yeah. I'd pendulum swung. I'd gone from having sex with as many women as I could to celibate. Celibate. Yeah. And I was like, it doesn't feel clean and healthy. And so, yeah, I went to this training and they basically just spoke about sex and sexuality and permission and consent and boundaries and energetic exchanges and all the things that we should probably learn when we're 13, you okay. know? So it's not like an orgy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> That's Tyron Mowbray, a former footy player, bricklayer and mine worker. For a long time, his main focus was getting smashed and having as much sex as possible. Tyron had deep-seated intimacy issues made all the worse by porn addiction and by his late 20s, he was so detached and desperate that he took off across the world in search of himself. What he experienced was brutal, bizarre and beautiful and what he discovered transformed him. Welcome to Young Blood, the award-winning volunteer podcast dedicated to young men's mental health. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is a platform for everyday men to share lived experience stories and show that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. Suicide is the number one killer of young people, and changing that starts with speaking up. So let's do it. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a thing. Help us reach more people by taking 10 seconds to give the show a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you've got some feedback on this conversation, I'd love to hear it. You can vote in the poll and leave a comment on every Spotify episode. I read them all. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Tyron, what did you grow up thinking a man was supposed to be? Ooh, great opening question. Provider, protector, they're the first two words that popped to mind. But the instant image I got was a picture of my dad. Like he was the rock of our family, and I can't deny that. But if you've ever had a rock in your shoe, sometimes it can get really fucking uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of how I think about it. It's like he was immovable in so many ways, which created a lot of angst in our family. While at the same time, he was really reliable. Like he was always that way. You know, he was he was immovable in his the way that he thought, the way that he felt, and the way that he acted. He was very unapologetic. And so like that's, you know, basically what I experienced was a man is just what he is, when he is, and how he is. And he doesn't need to justify. Um, and I can see the beauty in that, and I can also see the uh, flaws yeah 100% so were you conscious of wanting to embody the things that you admired about him but avoid the other things or did you, you think I should be just like he I think during my I was a very I think most of us are, I was a very sensitive young boy mm. um, I've got my mother's heart and my, my dad's rhino skin and it, it was really hard to try to live up to be the man that he was because he was in my opinion so much harder than I was he loved drinking, he loved blue and, you know, go to the footy and get into fights with all his mates because that was what they'd done since they were teenagers. Yeah. Okay, so and he so, was the blokey bloke. Oh, 100%. Yeah, centre of attention, loudest mm. one at the party. And so I loved how close he was with his friends and how and the stories he had and, the, you know, the fun that he always represented. But the angst at home with the arguments and whatever that was always hard and I always wanted to not be that. So there was that tension there. A hundred percent. And then when I got older, I was like, you know, I never want to be like him. I never want to be like him. 
And I remember once, I can't remember what I did, I did something and my mum went, you're just like your father. And it was like the greatest insult I could have received. Yeah. So yeah, I unconsciously picked up a lot of his mannerisms, even though I was consciously trying to avoid it. For sure. And speaking of the past tense, is he no longer with us? No, he's here. Yeah, we, we actually have the best relationship we've ever had now. I think largely due to the work that I've done on myself and I've let go of all the you know, pain and anger and frustration mm. I had to him and how I think he fucked up. And so I managed to forgive him and stop blaming. And Yeah. Well, I, was like, I think well, you develop more compassion, don't you, for your dad, if you're lucky enough to still have them in your life as yeah. you get older because you realize, yeah. oh, wow, they were just a person trying to work that out the whole time. And then as you become a man and you're doing that yourself, then you can have that compassion there. And then I also think that they naturally just soften as they get older. For sure. You know, like he's nearly 60 now. And so he's definitely not the same. You know, he was 21 when I was born. It's young. Um, so yeah. that's young, you yeah. know, and I guess I got to like 30 or, you know, and that's when I really went deep into my own stuff, you know, mm. my own personal like history, trauma, pain, all that stuff. And yeah, I just gained a deeper understanding of like, I'm 30 and still single and not a dad. And how would I go raising a child now as opposed to 21? You know, like I got to live my best years partying and celebrating and doing all that. And he, he didn't, you know, yeah. and so it was just a deeper appreciation, understanding for what he actually so, sacrificed. So much to take on at such a young yeah. age. Yeah. yeah. And you just don't have a concept of that when you're a little kid. You really don't. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's a journey that a lot of us have to go on as young men to, you know, like we want to fight the father and, we, you know, we, there's, there's a thing of separation. And then as we mature, you just go, oh, shit, you know, and it's not until you're a bit older that you realize everyone's doing the best they can with the tools. And I think if you look at the harder parts of your dad, look at their dad mm. and hear about the story of your grandpa and your dad's relationship and then hear yeah. about your grandpa's dad. Yeah. And often the case from this show, guys talk about their dads, every generation's getting better. Yeah, 100%. Getting more in touch, getting more yeah. able to express themselves. But yeah. it started off with nothing. Yeah. Yeah, so that just makes you have more compassion, really. It and does. You're like, well, if I was raised like that, then I'm sure I would have come out like yeah. my dad was. And then, yeah. yeah. And hopefully we can be a more evolved version of who came before us. And that, of course, is their goal. Exactly. Well. Yeah. And I, but I think one thing that it, it, that it swung the other way so much in our current state, you know, the, they talk about the feminization of men and all this uh, stuff, which I, Men do need to communicate. We do need to share. We do need to open up. You know, we don't live in a war-torn world anymore where we have to suppress our emotions so that we can mm. survive. You know, like we, we are very, you and I at least living in Australia, we're very lucky to live in where we live and the way that we It live. doesn't need to be fight or flight mode. Yeah. Exactly. That being said, like we do still need to build resilience in our mental, in our mind and our physical self, because, you know, I mean, you know, we're talking about men's mental health. Well, what makes you strong is, is resilience, you know? And so how do we build mental resilience when we don't have such a challenging or traumatic external environment? Like they used to with world wars and famine and all that type of stuff. Mm. Yeah. And it's about having that, that balance there. Something that we talk about, cause we hear that buzzword of vulnerability all the yeah. time in this space. Yeah. And I think, defining what that is and what that means is interesting and does mm. that mean that you can't be these other masculine traits which i think are very important and most mm. men would agree yeah and so i'm often saying when we say be able to be vulnerable we don't mean change everything and don't embody all those other things that make you what you are yep just have the capacity when when that stuff's building up inside of you and you know that you're something's wrong and you could really use some help it's it's being able to speak about it in that moment and then on the other end it's being able to receive that and mm. stop 
uh, taking the piss and having a laugh for a minute and take it seriously and hold yep. that space. Yep. But it's still, you can keep 90% of the other stuff the same. And in, in fact, it's really important to. Yep. And when we talk about, I talk about vulnerability, I think it's a strength because if you're able to have that that 5% where you can say, okay, this is really what's going on for me, mm. then you get it out of your head and you can be a way more effective man, which is what we, we all want to be. And we can be stronger and you and we can support people way better if we're looking after ourselves and that's part of it. So I think that's how we think of it. But I think I think often we think of it as, oh, vulnerability just means like crying and falling to pieces. And yeah. of course that puts off a lot of men because 100%. that's not really what's called for a lot of the time. No, because I, you know, we are, as men, we're still taught to be masculine. So anything that we perceive to be feminine, we are going to resist, right? And if vulnerability and emotions have the association of femininity, which predominantly they do, we're going we're gonna to fight against them because we want to be seen as a man. Yeah. And so like my reframe is, do you have the courage to be honest? Yeah. I scratch the word vulnerability in, in, in my vocabulary. Mm. And it's like, do I have the courage to be honest in this moment about what I'm experiencing? Yeah, I and like that. I, yeah, that, that, does take, that does take courage. And absolutely. courage, strength, being manly, right? Valor, yeah. all, all masculine qualities. Yeah, but so, it's not this virtue signaling type no. thing where it's about, oh, I want this attention. No. And I think that can get that negative connotation. Yeah. And that's really not what we're trying to encourage in people. Exactly. So yeah, I, I flip it and say, do I have the courage to be honest with the person I'm with right now about how I'm feeling, what's going on, the challenges that I'm facing mm. and not collapse into victimhood, but to just be real. And I've found that all of my relationships with men and women, my brotherhoods and, and even just friendships with women have increased dramatically because by me being honest, it's given them permission to be honest. Then we find another layer of connection well then it's not just the surface level exactly. having a chat about nothing while really yep. what's going underneath no one's getting through the door on yeah because once you open that which is can be really hard to do then it's yeah. like oh now i actually see you and we're actually connecting and if you don't do that then you can only ever really talk about the footy and talk about the weather, weather. which is also fine but like, exactly you know it only goes so far yeah. so just on that how did you view women and what expectations did you put on them when you were younger <laughs> uh so my first girl, I was, I was, I've always been the hopeful romantic. Used to be hopeless romantic, but again, reframe, hopeful romantic. <laughs> yeah. And my first girlfriend at 16, first girl I had sex with was, you know, nothing, I, everything I could have asked for. I, you know, loved her. We were in a relationship. It was beautiful. She cheated on me at a party that I was at when, I, you know, a couple of months after we started being together. And that was, it was just like, fuck women, you know, like don't love them. It's too hard. They're too, you know, they'll hurt you. And so from like 16 to 23, I was just, um, how do I, I'm not even going to say it politely. I basically used them as something to masturbate into, you mm -hmm. know, it was like, there was no emotional connection. I didn't allow myself to get any, any form a, of attachment, any form of attachment because yeah. I was scared. Just using women sort of as a tool. Exactly. And Cause you got heartbroken and then you didn't address that. <laughs> I didn't know how and to so address how many, it. How, that happens to so to many, do. so many young guys around that <laughs> yeah. age have that devastating, relationship breakup yep. and are so deeply wounded by it but yep. there's nothing there's, there's we certainly don't have the self-awareness at that point no. generally to be able to see what's happened and no. frame it in a way that would be helpful so it's just like you get deeply wounded at the same time that you've started drinking at the same time everyone around you has no idea how to deal yeah. with their shit at the same either. time you start having sex yeah at the same time that you know you're allowed to go to town and you all of a sudden you and know, all of that all happens and all of and you can so you can block all of that out with yeah. new tools that have just become yeah. available to you and like you said you carry that mentality on yeah. 
all the way like into your twenties and yeah. potentially forever. Forever, yeah. yeah. And I and I kind of do. You know, I met a girl at twenty three, fell in love, had a relationship. We were together for three years, and then you know I did. We'll get into that later, I'm sure. But I did some bad shit, and we broke up, and then heartbroken again. And all that did was reinforce the feeling that I had before. And so the debauchery that I did from 16 to 23 amplified like tenfold from 26 to 28, uh, which was when I had So my did you down. cheat on her? Uh, well, yes, um, but that's not, <laughs> that's not, that was, she didn't, doesn't know about that. Maybe if she watches this, she will. We had a breakup. We got back together. I didn't want to get back together. I cheated three times in that period. But no, I got involved with some bikies and they came over the house and kicked the doors in and threatened me and threatened her and she felt unsafe, so she left. Fuck, that would have been scary. It was, yeah. Yeah, it was really scary. And my mate was, I wasn't home one of the times and my mate was staying over with his kid and they, that's when they kicked the door in and he was five or six, his yeah. son, staying at my house. And um, yeah, it was a real, I'd like to say wake up call. I was going to say, but it wasn't a wake up call. It wasn't, yeah, because I like I still didn't really take ownership of that for another eighteen months. Yeah, I, I I tried to avoid all responsibility for it. I blamed other people for telling them and blah blah blah, and rather than just being like you fucked up, Tyrant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which you know again, why did I do that? You know, I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to have money. I, you know, I um I had been growing marijuana few years before which gave me a cash flow uh-huh. working full-time as well i wasn't just a, a drug drug dealer I, yeah. I was that and a worker <laughs> <laughs> industrious <laughs> Indu- exactly and uh yeah and then so having that cash flow and then getting busted by the cops that put me in a state of depression because i was like oh i've lost a large amount of cash mm. so that didn't make me that didn't make me feel worthy anymore i felt worthy when i had the abundance of money didn't feel worthy now yeah that's why me and my partner broke up because i was just in this pit of depression and because you're associating your worth with money and exactly your values and your priorities yep. on reflection probably weren't exactly <laughs> what they are now exactly and so you know that's when we broke up and that's when we got back together um and then that's and it's also when i cheated because i was you know feeling not worthy of anything yeah you know started to rebuild myself but then yeah once i had time where i was doing nothing like just the internal stuff would continue to fester and I hadn't addressed that. So then, yeah, just, you know, started to get involved with the wrong people and the wrong things, trying to make extra money and all of a sudden the bikies were involved. And so what happened after that when you from from 23 to, you know, 28? Yeah, so well, so 23 to 26 was that relationship and, and the like the heavy part of the drugs. Yeah, so we broke up at 26, she left. We went to Bali together after we'd broken up with her whole family because um, it was already booked and planned and Jeez. she convinced me to go. And I can reflect on it now and she was like, she was basically give me, giving me another opportunity to like apologize and yeah. make it up to her and be like, I love you. I'm sorry. I'll never uh-huh. do it again. I'm, you know, and like just be honest and have the courage to be honest and be like i fucked up i apologize i love you that's not where you were at though. and i wasn't i was yeah. refusing to take responsibility for it and so we basically pretended to be together every day in front of her family and then we'd go to bed and sleep back to back in the hotel okay and then i got into an argument with her mum on the last day because her mum wanted to pay for our hotel room like the you know food stuff and i was like i, I please let me pay knowing that we're going to go home and break up and uh yeah i got into a rather heated discussion with her mum about paying for the hotel room and uh because i just knew it was all going to come out in the end you know um 
anyway, I had to surrender and let her mum pay because she had two brothers and her mum was paying for their room and she didn't, you know, it's not fair. And I'm not, no, I'm going to do it. And yeah. So then we came home, split up, settled the house. Uh, not, not very well, but we, we got it done. And that was it. I took a redundancy from work, got the check from the house and basically blew it in about five months. Just partying from Wednesday night at Flashdance and HQ till Sunday night at the Grand. Those were the days. Those were the days. So I did that and then got a job out in the mines, which stopped me taking drugs because we're getting drug tested, but did not improve my mental health uh, whatsoever. How long were you out there for? 18 months. So that is what then led to uh, a mental and emotional breakdown. And before that, you were a bricklayer for eight years and playing footy as well? Yeah, bricklayer, playing footy. I lost my driver's license for four years for DUI. And I, I also, at the same time, that's when I got busted for marijuana. So, so from an outside perspective, oh. real hyper masculine, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, real hyper, doing but what I want. Looking at, life. looking at, looking at your story. Yeah, like there's the the footy stereotype, footy. Yep. your job, like bricklayer, brick the mind. Like, that's as tough as it gets. Yeah. Then like your relationships with women and the way yep. you were viewing that, and yep. then the drugs and stuff, and, yep. the, and the obsession with money as well. Yeah. Like, you were ticking all those ticking all the surface boxes. level boxes for like what a tough dude should. Yeah. Were you like, how would you describe your sort of self-esteem and your happiness throughout most of that time? Like, did you like being that guy? Did you feel like that was you and who you were supposed to be? Uh, well, I feel like, you know, and now, you know, I've, I've done some very alternative deep dive now. And so, you know, when I zoom out, it's like, we are, we are everything, right? We are the entire universe wrapped up in human form. So I was playing a role, you know, and I got to play that role and I played it really intensely and it is a part of me but I chose to over identify with it you know and so I can have compassion for the man that is in that place because I've been there and I understand the emotions that drive it but I didn't think I was anything more than that uh, at that time and so yeah I would remember like the only reason I would sleep with women is to get a story so that I could then go hang out at the footy club and tell all the boys on Tuesday night at footy training about the debaucherous sexual stuff that I got up to on the weekend. Um, and it's because it was all about supporting that image. Exactly. And was that because you above all wanted their respect or you wanted your own? Yeah, well, I just wanted love. Like I just wanted to be accepted. And the way that I was And you accepted, wanted to be the center of attention. Too. Yeah. And the way that I was accepted from as early as I, I as early on as I can remember was to have sex with women, drink more alcohol than everyone else, take more drugs than everyone else and be loud and boisterous and be the center of like, you know, get naked on the bar and like whatever. It was like you were celebrated, you were loved, you were, you know, even though people would think you're an idiot, you, they, they would know who you were. Yeah. So you became infamous, you know. Yeah. Um, and every time you walked in, people would go, hey, there's Moby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so, you know, I was Moby. That was my, that was my alter ego. Moby Woby. Yeah, that's funny because I, I had one as well for yeah. quite a while. And it's not even how I viewed it at the time, but I used to call myself and be called Dreams. <laughs> and that, was, that was my name. And it was largely, it, it started out of being uh, a positive person and having a positive impact on other people. And like one of those uh, yeah. Reddit sayings, Ziz sayings, yeah. no tears, just dreams, right? Oh, yeah. So that was like the slogan back then. Yeah. But it was also associated with 
similar to you, like being the being the party guy, yeah. uh, being the the ultra positive, like always up and about kind of guy. Yeah. And I held on to that for like a long time. And yeah. I even changed my name on Facebook was like Dreams. And I would t- I'd meet new people and say my name was Dreams, and yeah. they'd be like, "That's ridiculous! Like, surely that's not your name?" And I'd be like, "No, nah, it is." Yeah. And I didn't, never even thought much of it. But it's funny to think back now and be like that allowed me to sort of play out that character yep. and similar to you like i've still a lot like i'm still pretty much the same in a lot of that yeah. but i it's like when that when some of those traits and behaviors actually morph into a character that you sort of play into more than and, and then like i've heard you talk about the fact that people used to get your name wrong and yep. call you t or tyrone or yep. not Tyron and then you didn't like the na- name Tyron and yeah. now you own your name and and that identity and mm. it's like for me I'm Cal or Callum and I just sort of grew up a bit and like took that name back it was like all right yeah that was a funny that funny period yeah and I don't feel negatively about it at all and it was always a bit of a laugh and stuff but it's kind of funny to think that we're sort of similar in that in yeah. that regard yeah because yeah. I mean it is it's like if I want to be accepted and loved or if I don't feel like I am enough as I am who do I need to become to feel like I'm enough so yeah you know and I mean it's pretty common people that are ultra successful that's what they do you know like they create an alter ego and they step into that like interviewers sports people you know entrepreneurs and stuff it's like who do I need to be to step mm. into and I never to- I never felt like I was being someone else either. no yeah not really but it was like and i think it's the same for you it's kind of like a, a more extreme version yeah. of some of the things about you that you think are positive yeah. but you're like heightened yeah yeah and i am an extreme person like i was just telling you before we started i ran an ironman this year why because i was like well why would i do a sprint triathlon i what i want to do the biggest one they have yeah go hard or go home yeah so yeah. i am an extreme person that is very much a natural part of me but i was using it in lots of unhealthy channels and now i've really learned to use it in much healthier channels mm. It's important to look after our mental health just like our physical health and AG1 is the perfect supplement to help take care of both. Just one daily scoop of AG1 covers all your nutritional bases with 75 vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, adaptogens, a greens blend and whole food ingredients. You can count on this tasty mix to boost your energy, increase mental clarity, help you get better sleep, improve digestion and pep up your immune system. Plus, it's super simple to make part of your morning routine, all for the price of a coffee. You may know producing this podcast is all volunteer and I have to pay for studio time and editing to keep bringing you these episodes. Every dollar we make from this partnership will go towards helping to cover production costs. So it's an awesome way to support your health and contribute to young men's mental health all in one. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, AG1 is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com youngblood. That's drinkag1.com youngblood. Check it out. How was the sleeping around with lots of women once that relationship ended and what, watching porn all the time? Yeah. How did that sit with you? Was that something that you were just shut off to or did it, become, did it become a thing where you were conscious that it wasn't good for you? I mean, to start with, it was just a coping strategy, right? It was like, I'm, I'm numb and I, and I hate women. I mean, I love women, but I'm so hurt by them that I perceive to hate them. But also having sex with a woman was like, well, she's letting me have sex with her, so I'm worthy, right? So there's this like push and pull. I don't want it, but when I, fi- when I get it, I feel worthy. So I, you know. Sort of about proving something to yourself. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it amplified, right? Like I slept with the same number of women in two years from 26 to 28 as I did from 16 to 23. 
so I was like hell bent on just that revenge. I was using Tinder like I was a shareholder. Full-time job. Full-time job. And yeah, it, and it just, all it did, I just slipped back into that Moby role really easily, you know, basically after that three-year relationship. And yeah, working in the mine. So basically I would wake up at quarter three in the morning. I'd jerk off to porn. I'd go to have pre-workout, go to the gym, come back from the gym, jerk off to porn, have a shower, go to the mess, make breakfast and lunch, go to work, come home from work, jerk off to porn, go to the gym, go to the mess, have dinner, go home or back to my donger, jerk off, go to sleep, wake up, do it again. Yeah, like clockwork. Clockwork. Such a rigorous schedule. <laughs> it was like... It's almost impressive. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but it's obviously at that level, it's a problem too. oh 100 yeah. you know and it got to the point where i didn't feel pleasure when i would come you know sometimes i wouldn't even know if i came i'd be like what like so you're doing it out of habit yeah yeah it was just like that's the structure and was that's that the... escapism kind oh of sure yeah, yeah for sure you know it's um, a big problem in the minds isn't it it is it's yeah really massive heard that um, from a few guys who worked out there and say you know what's the biggest problem out there is it steroids is it meth and they're like no nah, it's porn yeah yeah, really, yeah, it is. You know, like there's stories of cleaners, like they go, you know, they clean the dongers every couple of days and they'll find like, you know, suction cap dildos on the sides of the shower and stuff like that in a, in a, in a male, all male mindset. Yeah, you know? right. So yeah, it's pretty. Whatever. Uh... <laughs> guys go some pretty, and that's what happens with sexuality is like, you know, when we, you know, you start watching porn, you start watching the two people having sex. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like two people having sex is no longer arousing. So then you watch this and then you watch this and then all of a sudden you're watching a midget fucking go. It gets more extreme and more extreme. It just, yeah, it yeah. goes darker and darker that you need. And, and that's, that's really bad for your soul. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And, and what you're doing is you're creating neural pathways in your brain for pleasure. And so, you know, you lose the fact that like this is actually arousing and, and sensational. Yeah. And then before long, you can't even get erections anymore. Exactly. And so I could still get erections with women, thank goodness, and erections with porn, but I couldn't get erections without porn or with or without women on my own. And so that was what happened was once I was like, I'm fucking sick of porn. I'm just going to do it without it. And I couldn't get hard at all. Like nothing, not even. A, and I was trying to like fantasize and nothing. And I was like, fuck, I'm 27 years old. That's that can't be good. Like, this is not a good thing. And so that was enough of a motivator for me to kind of quit porn there and then. And I lasted seven days and I had a wet dream. And that- uh, That was encouraging. Yeah. <laughs> that was, so that kind of rebooted the system for me. And so then I could, I could jerk off without porn again. And so I was like, all right, well, that was good. And then, when I, and then I stopped doing it four times a day. And that was probably too much. That was probably too much, you know. I mean, you know, when you're 16, <laughs> yeah. it's fine, you know. Yeah, you got so you, much testosterone. Yeah, you got stuff to do though. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we were doing that. And then it just kind of one thing led to another from there on out, you know. It became... Uh, so your relationships with women at this point, were you conscious of how detached you were from actual oh, intimacy? Yeah, it got to, like I remember once I was I had sex with a girl and we, like we just finished having sex. I rolled over. And I, she like went to come and cuddle up to me. And I was just like, well, I, no, I don't do that. And she was like, what? And I was like, I, I don't cuddle after sex. And she was like, and I just felt like even saying it out loud, I was like, you are a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Like that's disgusting. But that's how, like, I was like, no, 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 don't get close to me. Like, Cause I that was felt, actually intimacy. Yeah. I felt act. disgusting in that moment. And mm -hmm. I realized that like, 
basically after I after I would ejaculate, I just want to, I just want to leave. I need to leave now. It was yeah. like get out, get out, get out, get out. Everything in me was like run. How did um, you justify that? Not necessarily to the person at the time. I'm sure you came <laughs> yeah. up with all kinds of excuses. Yeah, there were many. But to, to yourself, did you reflect on that and think, uh, does everyone feel that way? Or did you think that you were a bit odd in that regard? I think I was just so emotionally suppressed at that time that there wasn't really any rationalization. It got to the point where it was like, I'm, this is just who I am and, and how I am and, and this is just what I do, you know? And what I realized was like, I was trying to feel happy all the time. And because I was trying to feel happy all the time, I would avoid anything that made me feel unhappy, which is why I drank and took drugs and had sex and partied and everything. And so you were much. just trying to tie together all these quick, short highs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So the dopamine level was just like jacked yeah. all the time. Yeah. But what goes up must come down. Yeah, exactly. Up. And so the higher the up, the higher the down. Yeah. And there's no stability there either. And there's nothing nurturing about any of those surface level experiences. Nah, nah, not at all. Quite so, a bit of drama comes into your life with all those things too. And it, it's funny, right? Like working with dudes now sometimes or talking to dudes at least. And it's like, they go, I don't know why this has happened. This has happened. I'm like, you're addicted to chaos. Yeah. Do you not see that? And I can say that because I was addicted to chaos. You know, I can see where... My, my suppression of everything just caused utter mayhem. And people might or often not even conscious of it, but the drama that's constantly in their lives a lot of the time is because otherwise they, they would be bored or they don't have enough interests or then they're not doing enough other things that are nourishing or interesting in their lives. And yeah. so a lot of the time I think unknowingly people manufacture that drama and part of it is yeah. chasing those those short highs yeah. which come at a cost well it gives us meaning right like it, even if it if it, even if it's drama even if it's negative drama it gives us a meaning it gives us something something you know, to talk, talk about. about something to think about yeah like um, when you're in media any publicity is good publicity, yeah that's right. right like and and we believe that in our subconscious psyche as well, well it's like well at least i'm not bored and and as long as i'm thinking about whatever this bullshit is i'm not thinking about why am i here yeah exactly <laughs> what's the meaning of how did you existence? go being by yourself this whole time were you someone who always wanted to be around other people or? yeah yeah so that's so i had a breakdown at 27 yeah i went to thailand for a mate's wedding and the, I knew I was unhappy. And so the whole purpose was like, right, I'm going to go to Thailand for a month. The wedding's for three days. I'm going to spend the rest of the time doing Muay Thai, scuba diving, traveling, like like doing shit. To, Being wholesome. Yeah, clear my shit out. Did it for a week, went to Koh Samui. Long story short, spent three weeks getting fucked up with my mates. You know, a lot more details in there, but nearly got arrested, jumped off a fucking speedboat, slept for like three hours a night for three weeks. Came home, everyone left, not home, back to Koh Samui. Everyone left. I had one night on my own. I went down the pub, down the bar, got drunk, and I just broke. Like, I just, just couldn't talk to anyone. All of a sudden, the, the voices in my head just fucking went crazy. Because it's got a crescendo at some point. It, yeah, it? exactly. You know, and a three-week bender in Thailand with, like, three hours sleep a night for three weeks. Is, yeah. you, you, it's going to wear on you. It's going to get you there. Yeah. Yeah, and... And just hating yourself. And just already hating myself, you know. So it was like just a, a colossal build up and the dam broke. And uh, I, had a, I had a breakdown. There was a very young boy on the beach who basically saved me. Uh, I've told that story a few times. So when we were in Costa Rica the first time, he was on the beach selling Lay's, right? One dollars, one dollar. And he said something to me and he's been a bit of a smart ass. So I was being a smart ass back. And obviously I'm older and 
drunk and whatever. So I was being a real smart ass. And he went to hit me and I saw it coming and I just like swung back and his arm hit the girl next to me and I just laughed at him because I made him look like an idiot, which made me look like an idiot, but I didn't see that at the time. And anyway, three weeks later, I'm back on the same beach, can't talk to anyone in my head, freaking the fuck out, full full of anxiety. Who walks up to me? This same kid. And uh, he started talking to me and I was just like, don't you remember me, you know? And he did remember me. And he just like let it, it, for him it was gone, you know? And I just broke, like I started crying. He was the only person on the beach that would talk to me. I mean, I'm sure there were other people, but in my brain at that time, you know. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, he was like seven or nine or something. And uh, the only one working, three younger kids, mum and dad were gone, lives with his grandma, Yep. Just like the like the epitome of like a good human trying to do things. Look, and I'm and legit like child. Exactly. Yeah. And here I am having to make a living and has nothing. And then here's you being selfish as possible. Basically. And just dropped four grand in three weeks partying yeah. on drugs and alcohol. Not even paying for accommodation. I just slept wherever just I felt. Taking life for granted. Really. Exactly. So yeah, you know, I broke. I took him to the shops. We. I was like, you got as much money as you want to spend to like buy whatever you want. He bought 20 kilos of rice to take home. I was like, that's the jackpot for him. Yeah. And I'm just like, Tyron, you're a piece of shit. That was like, that was it. So anyway, he, he spent a bunch of money. I put him on a scooter. He went home and I went back to my hotel room and contemplated life and, uh, came home, had to, I was meant to go straight back to work. They rang me up, said, Oh, we've canceled your three weeks worth of work. So I've just dropped all my money. Yeah, got no, no money he can't yeah. go back to work uh-huh. just you know one of those things you're like don't do drugs <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so uh anyway went back out to the mines lasted four days quit went back laying bricks played at my old footy club moved back in with mum and dad and then went traveling and i was going traveling i was scared shitless and in that six month period I and like, your decision to go traveling where you like i need to go i need to get out myself. of that i need to get out of australia like yeah. i like they say environment is everything mm. and my environment, no matter where I went in Australia, the same thing would just happen, right? I'd find drugs, I'd find parties. You needed a circuit breaker. Exactly. Yep. And so I got into yoga and meditation off YouTube in that six month period while I was saving and I, you know, started traveling. No one knew that I was depressed or sad. Not like no one. First place I went was Oktoberfest in Munich and got so drunk I shit my pants. Okay. Good start. <laughs> Good start. Yeah. So that was another, like, you know, this journey of, of, I didn't just wake up one day and go, I'm fucking healed and I won't drink or take drugs. It was like ugly, progressive failing again and again. Yeah. But basically I spent four months, five months living in my tent, backpacking across Europe on my own. That was the level of isolation I needed to like process all my own internal stuff. You know, I lived in a Buddhist monastery for a month where we meditated for four hours a day and didn't eat after lunch. I lived in Iceland in January in the coldest month of the year, coldest, darkest month of the year. So it was like 21 hours of darkness a day. Were you seeking these out? Yeah. Obviously, they're extremely they are. challenging. They're extremists, they're yeah. extremists right? So it's me being an what extremist. Were you, what way. were you trying to find or hoping to find by putting yourself through that? Answers. Yeah. Answers to the questions that, you know, that I had in my head. Like, could you survive? Were, <clears throat> were you were you man enough, or would would something appear in your mind if you were out there 
for so long like yeah so i mean it was i get again it was progressive right so i was traveling i was backpacking it wasn't fun because i was just going to hotels and uh, hostels and pubs and bars and clubs and cities and i was like fucking shit you're just doing the same thing you were doing in australia yeah and then i was couch surfing with this guy in in ireland and they they showed me the movie into the wild yeah and it changed my life i was like that's what i want to do okay don't eat the berries though don't eat the berries (laughs) don't eat the berries in alaska uh so i bought a backpack and a tent and like you know i spent a couple of grand on setting myself up and that's what i then started to Mm do you know, I found a meditation thing on couch surfing. So I went along to that. The the woman there that was teaching the meditation told me about a bunch of Buddhist monasteries in Europe that you can go and stay at for free. So I found one that was on my travels and went there. Was that that you're not allowed to stay for more than two weeks? I got like ten days in and the the Ajna, which is like the head monk, goes, I think you should stay for uh for another two weeks, Tyron. <laughs> I was like, Really? He's like yeah. Do you get any direction or is it like, okay, so you sit there? No, you, I mean, like you wake up at four, meditate for an hour, you come back, you have breakfast, then you go work for a couple of hours, which is, it's not really work. I mean, it is, but not for a bricklayer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then you go and have lunch again and then you've got nothing to do from 12 to six. So you can read, you can meditate, you can ask for meetings with the monks and stuff and have conversations. And then you have meditate again from six to seven thirty, and then that's it. Go to bed or whatever, and wake up and do it again all over again. So, how did Mister Chaos go with that much quiet time? Yeah, it was hard. So I wrote a lot, and that's what I did on my trip. Was I realized I was like, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to write. And I wrote about what was going on for me internally, and, and that's good because you didn't have anyone to talk to, and you exactly. had to get the thoughts out. So yeah. yeah. So I started writing, and. uh it was phenomenal what came out of my brain and and you know and you just keep writing keep asking questions keep writing and it's you, you unpack your own shit but it was very good to have the monks for example to like seek reflection and then all of a sudden i start i heard about helpx which is a place where you work in exchange for food and accommodation so that drastically reduces your travel expenses so then i started looking at like volunteering places and you know started to stay at retreat centers and stay with I guess let's call them more conscious people, uh, which then gave me the ability to reflect more and more. And, and staying at the monasteries, did you feel like that developed fairly quickly? Those skills which you were able to take take with you and be a little bit better at self reflection. And for sure, uh-huh. that's a lifelong practice. It's not something that you just snap your fingers and do. But doing yeah. it that intensely for yeah. a month, yeah, there'd be things you'd never forget that would have helped you. Yeah, yeah. So I remember writing a letter to my dad because I was still pretty angry at my dad at that stage. And I wrote a letter to him and I showed it to the, the Arjuna and he read it and he's like, okay. And I was like, tell me the answers. And he's like, well, now what? <laughs> I was like, well, am I just, uh, tell me I'm a, tell, him, tell me I'm right, you know? And he goes, okay, well, how about, what about from your dad's perspective? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, okay, how would you do it better? And I started to tell him, he's like, no, no, no go and meditate on it. So the first meditation, so I was like, I would do this and this and this. And, and you're this. angry still. Yeah. <laughs> and this. And then like, oh, you know, he had, he had some other questions. And so I was like, okay, well, how would I do that time? And I was like, well, well, I would do it like this. And, and then all of a sudden I would get, I got caught up and I was like, yeah, how would you raise a child to chase his dreams 
but then punish him when he breaks rules, but not punish him so bad that he then doesn't chase his dreams, you know? And then Such a delicate balance. Exactly. Especially when you're 21, when you start. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So all of a sudden that led down a pathway of like, how would you actually do it better? And that was what started the compassion towards mm. my parents. But also it got to the point where I was like, you, you got you to do everything that you tell your children to do. That was probably the biggest thing I had with him was that I felt like he was a big hypocrite. You know, was, do as I say, not as I do. Mm. And that was what made me lose a lot of respect for him in those younger years. And that's what inspires me to do everything now. It's like, what type of man am I going to showcase to my children? So practice what you preach. Yeah. Yeah. And then you spent some time with a cult too. Yeah, I did. Was that before or after the monasteries? After. Afterwards. After. And it was a sex cult? Yes. Right. International sex cult. <clears throat> so yeah, Okay, um, so that would have been a bit of a juxtaposition. It was. <laughs> so, you know, during the whole meditation, cleansing, getting rid of, like sex was the, was the biggest kryptonite for me, right? It was like women were, I love women. They're beautiful and gorgeous. And like making love is one of my all-time favorite things to do. And so that was my biggest kryptonite. So I went celibate for a lot of my European trip. I was very like, and I started reading oh, so tantra books. Was and, this like a, a final showdown kind of test thing? <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> or I think it was more of a reintegration, you know, like think of a pendulum swing. Alcoholics who are like heavy alcoholics, they become sober mm. and they, they never drink again. They, they swing the pendulum from one extreme to the other mm. and they don't necessarily find the middle way. And, yeah, and so in a way, it still has power over you. Exactly. So Buddhists will always talk about the middle, the middle path. Right. And it's neither left nor right. Non-attachment. Exactly. It's down the middle. And so I learned a lot about that in my studies in Buddhist monasteries. And so I got to this point where I, you know, I went and became a yoga teacher. I went fully celibate for three months uh, while I was doing my yoga training and, you know, no self-pleasure, no nothing. And I'd started to experience some like, you know, non-ejaculatory orgasms by this stage and some alternative things, which was pretty wild. But yeah, I went, all right, I'm just going to stay clean. But one thing I didn't love about the yoga trainings or the Buddhists is that they, they just didn't acknowledge sexuality really. And maybe I didn't do it for long enough. There's more teachings in there, but. But pretty much same with religion. They're basically like, oh, yeah, well, essentially don't do that. For them, like it's that. Brahmacharya, yeah. which is like the, the, the ignoring of everything from the waist down, which is basically everything that makes us animal and primal. So I learn about this school called ISTA, International School of Temple Arts. And they've got sexuality trainings, sexuality, spirituality, and shamanism. That's what it's called. And so anyway, I read the thing and I was just like, it, it just evoked all this stuff inside of me. I was like, because that was the bit you hadn't looked at. Hadn't fully integrated. Yeah. I'd pendulum swung. I'd gone from having sex with as many women as I could to celibate. celibate. Yeah. And I was like, it doesn't feel clean and healthy. And so, yeah, I went to this training and they basically just spoke about sex and sexuality and permission and consent and boundaries and energetic exchanges and all the things that we should probably learn when we're 13, you okay. know? So it's not like an orgy. It is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. But before the orgy, <laughs> we, talk about they, we talk about consent and boundaries and yeah, masculine, feminine energy and tantra and shame, you know, like we did a lot of processes to remove shame we have around our bodies, our physicality, like as men, shame around our cocks, the women shame around their breasts or their yonis or, you know, whatever. So it's just all the stuff that our society never really- like All the hangups. Yeah. And like we never really talk about, it just ha had a space for all of it to be spoken about and, and for anyone to remove any fear, doubt, 
or anything like they had around their sexuality, their desires, their body, their physicality, their mm. whatever. And it was such a liberating experience to just be open enough to converse about it. And then if you so wanted to engage or like do something to help remove that shame, then you could speak it out. And if someone was open to it, you could then participate. Mm. So it was like, yeah, very, very liberating. I came out of that retreat just being like, I'm free, you know? And so like my, all my social media went from like consciousness and embodiment and like (laughs) meditation to like sexual liberation. I'm an animal. Yeah, exactly. So how did that experience bring you back into the middle? Because you could say, okay, well, you just swung back the other (laughs) way. (laughs) With consciousness, (laughs) you know, and, and I probably did. I probably did swing the other way and I was like, open relating is fine and, you know, non, non-monogamy and like, as long as you're conscious and communicative. And, and so I went into the open relating scene for probably four years after that. Oh, right. Okay. So basically it was a, re- it was a pendulum swing. It was a reintegration of, yeah, I am going to have sex with multiple people, but rather than being shameful and hiding and not cuddling and not, I'm going to, I'm going to be intimate. I'm going to share intimacy and depth and connection and I'm also seeing this other person over here and I want you to know that and you're free to make whatever decision you want moving forward as to how we progress. So that helped for a time. Exactly, yeah. Until all of a sudden it was like, well, now I really love someone and now they're doing that with other people and ah, I'm doing it with other people they, and now yeah. I'm like, now I'm all my emotions are all torn up because yeah. I've still got the romantic notion of one soulmate Yeah. and a family. It doesn't really fit with that polyamory, does it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it can, but it's a big jump. To go from monogamous family to polyamorous family, yeah, um, and I experienced that, you know. So that was part of like ISTA has different level trainings. I highly recommend level one. I think everyone should learn it. Level two, level three are really intense. What and level did you do? All of them, multiple times. <laughs> and then there's also a mystery school in New Zealand that I went to study at, uh, right. which was a six week live in, which okay. was a whole other kettle of fish. Yeah, you went hard. I again, an extremist. Yeah. So had my heart shattered a million times and learn a lot about, you know, soul, human consciousness, how to evolve our patterns and habits and like uh, learned a lot. You sort of get over it though. You want to yeah. find some stability and yeah. kind of chill yeah. out a bit because again, you're so, still so going for really extreme experiences. Yeah. No and you tie yourself out. Right? Exactly. And you're yeah. not really, so you, you learn all this stuff about yourself and yeah, connection and other people and yep. all these things you didn't know before but then you get the message right and yeah hang up the phone at you, a certain exactly point. you integrate the lessons mm. and so the pendulum swing now comes back the other way and then it you know and so i've just started seeing someone recently we've been you know we're like five weeks in like very fresh and but you can cuddle now i can cuddle now. <laughs> and um, oh he can cuddle <laughs> yeah yeah i'm a good cuddle. <laughs> Um, but yeah, you know, like I've now learned what I do and don't want because I've played in basically every field that I can possibly find, right? There's not a, there's not a, if you, if, if there are different sport, if sex is the Olympics, I've played every fucking sport. You've done the decathlon, man. You've left no, no stone left unturned. And now I know what I really want, what I don't want. And so now I can enter any relationship being quite clear about, and not like brittle, but just like, yeah, I'm, 
I can, I'm not going to get upset when my partner tells me that she got hit on by another dude or that she found a dude attractive or that whatever. Like none of that bothers me now. So you don't have the insecurity there. No, I've watched my partner have sex with someone else and that was confronting. That was hard. Yeah, dude. And and (laughs) I've watched her fall in love with someone else. That was even worse, you know? And it's like, well, that's the level of emotional processing I'm capable of. Anything inside of that, I'm pretty chill but also you don't need to put yourself through that. exactly i don't need to do that again yeah. in order to prove to myself that i can find love in the places of not love so yeah i what about the intimacy with yourself because was that a big thing that you developed with all your travels and yeah. all the time alone and living so minimalistly yeah minimalistically yeah it was that intimacy that was obviously missing within you because you gotta love yourself for someone you can love someone else someone yeah. else can love you so. well you break the word down into me i see intimacy you know and so intimacy is really just sharing a part of you that you maybe is not on the outside and so if i can do that with myself and i can self-reflect and look inwards and get honest and be courageous enough to be honest with those parts and love those parts can do it with someone else so what cracked that nut open was it a compilation of of things and experiences yeah i mean i think everything leads to this particular moment you know and so everything that i had done led to those retreats and those seminars where i was able to actually be really honest with a massive group of people about my insecurities my doubts and my fears and they were able to love me in that which was then allowing me to love myself in that you sort of validated it and then you realized that that was just human and yeah. nothing wrong with it yeah yeah so you think about it you know people go oh you shouldn't seek external validation and to a certain extent you shouldn't but normally the external world is what made you feel bad about yourself on some level. So it's really potent to have the external world love a part of you until you can love it, hmm. you know? And so that's what a lot of these workshops really did for me. And so like I'm facilitating at the end of the month at a, uh, Australia's biggest Tantra festival. It's called Taste of Love. And it's just like, it's a, it's a more mellow version of the, these really intense week-long things. And it's like, I love doing it now. But like you said, I go there not because I need it anymore. Like I've stared into a thousand people's eyes and shared intimacy. And it's like, that's not the muscle I need to work for me anymore. For example, this relationship that I'm in is is where I need to now show up and be my authentic self and share those parts. But you, because you've been through those fires, you feel like you can help people in that space. And we all want yeah. to find ways that we can we can help other that, people. That's why you do this podcast, yeah. right? Like, cause you've, you've worked through some stuff and you probably, all, we're always working through stuff. There's no orgies around here, but <laughs> it's good to hear about them. Like. Yeah, no, I mean, they're good fun until they're not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So what have you found difficult about letting go of the old idea of yourself? It sounds like multiple times, mm. like letting go of Moby and then yeah. letting go of um, the, rampant sex cult guy yeah sounds like you've done that too yep and being able to close chapters and have them be chapters in our lives it's not an easy thing to do so what no. have you found hard about it i think the hardest part is when you realize that you can be whatever you want working out what it is you really want you know i feel like that's the hardest thing because every time i have achieved something that i thought i wanted on the other side of that achievement is a sense of like was that Emptiness, it or, yeah. or what now you know, yeah, it's um, not all it stacks up, stacks up to be. Yeah. No, you know, and so, like, at what point does it end? And it, it ultimately it doesn't end, you know. And the age old saying of like, before enlightenment, carry water, chop wood. After enlightenment, carry water, chop wood. Mm. You know, and I and that's kind of where it gets to. Um, Do you feel enlightened? 
I've definitely, I would like, I solely believe I have had moments of experience of it. Like I've touched it and tasted it, but there's no way that I can hold it. You know, like for me, enlightenment is a, is a remembering. That would probably be a bit arrogant to say. Like, <laughs> yes. And if I was saying Unless it, you're the Buddha, you're definitely not. saying you're not it, <laughs> right? The That's ego the would have got you at that exactly. point. So yeah, but I, I would like to believe that I've experienced moments of like pure divinity. What are sure. you capable of now that, previous tyrant wasn't expressing the love that was always within me yeah i think that was the and receiving thing. it mm, i'm still working on that one <laughs> like i'm better at receiving it i think but i think the biggest thing really is there's always been a lot of love in my heart and i've never known how to give that in a world especially being portrayed as a masculine man and you know you should you should look like this and say this and act like this and being able to completely dissolve all that and tell And my, that mind frame of, oh, it's all about the result. It's yeah. all about getting the result. It doesn't matter how you yep. get there. Do you have this, 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 and this on paper? Yeah. Then you had all that and you're like, well, I'm miserable. Yeah. And I can I can ring my mates and tell them that I love them and say, hey, can you come over and, and give me a hug right now? Because I'm fucking struggling. And, and before know, you do that work on yourself, there's no way you can do that. It's really fucking hard. Yeah. yeah. Like I've got a mate right now. Uh, he was a client and now he's a mate and he's a soldier. And I'm not just like a general grunt, like, equivalent of Delta Force in Australia, right? He's up there with one of the most elite soldiers here. And we are, he's going through some stuff. He's been going through some stuff for a while and it waves. And he just rang me yesterday and he was like, I need you right now. I was like, done, what do you need? You know, and there's, he goes to war with people and has done multiple times. And I'm the person he calls when he's in that place. Cause then that's not the relationship he has with them. You know, and it, it's not like he can't rely on them. They will, they will protect his life with their own, but that's the relationship we have, you know, and I love that. I love that, you know, there are many men in my life who I am their go-to man when they need that emotional support. And that makes, that gives me a stronger sense of self-worth. Makes you feel like a man. That makes me feel more sense of self-worth than anything else. More well, than I money, think it's a beautiful than... thing to be someone that people will come to because that actually means something. And you've discovered having done all the bullshit in your life that yeah. when you drill down, that's what you want to be and yeah. and have a family of your own and be that for yeah. kids one day as well. And I, you know, if I can if I can be that for these men, I can be that for anyone. And then what else do I need? And I would argue that that's the most hyper-masculine you've ever been, <laughs> yeah. which is beautiful, but that's the kind of masculinity that hopefully we're trying to encourage where can you, can you love yourself enough and get to a point where you're okay enough with yourself that you're able to open up to other people and then thus have them be able to come to you and then all of a sudden you are that super strong, supportive guy that you would say you want to be and you just didn't get there perhaps the, the way that we've been conditioned to think you do. Yeah. And I can still go have beers and lift weights and run marathons. And, you know, like it's all inclusive of, not separate to. Yeah, which, which means awesome. it, it can be applied to yep. real life and it, not just when you're at some retreat in the mountains. Like yep. it has to be able to be applicable to actually living in society and functional. And is it a lifestyle you can adopt, not just a crash course diet or program of three months and then I'm back to where I'm now I'm looking for the next thing. Like can yep. you, like you say, integrate it into actually someone I'm going to be going forward? Yeah, no, 100%. But where do you get the rush from now? Right now, I'm getting the rush from falling in love again. Okay, which is which is really beautiful. Yeah, nice. 
There's nothing better than that. No, there's not. But uh, for me, the the probably the biggest one, the one that I've still yet to master uh, is wealth. Yeah, like I had money, but how I earned that money and how I spent that money, my relationship to the money was really poor, right? It was like, earn all this money, let's just go buy a fucking BMW, let's buy this, let's buy that. But generally, like we didn't come from a lot of money, mum and dad, you know, we were talking before, 10 pound palms over on the boat. But to build wealth for myself and my family so that we're looked after and to invest that money and to like understand the game of wealth. So building something is exciting to you now. Yeah, that's, that's, I can feel like that's the scary edge. That's the part where I'm like, okay, I need to read profit and loss statements and financial statements. And like, that's a real, it's a real edge for me. But now. you can't tell me that after all this money is your main priority. Right? No, I think it's like the pendulum swing, right? It's like I joined the sex cult to like reintegrate healthy sexuality. And so I think it's, it's again, it, that's just the next step of where I'm at right now. It's like reintegrating the desire for money, but rather than it come from a place of, I f- don't feel worthy of it and therefore yeah, I want it to, to fill the void. external validation and buy it's, all this stuff. It's, it's so you can facilitate this next chapter of your life. Exactly. So that I can, you know, uh, I can teach my children about money and I can learn about money and we can live in a house, you know, like if, if stuff goes wrong, we're not dictated by like, oh, I lost my job. I can't afford the rent. Now we're out in the street. You know, like I, I want to avoid that level of, of, of existence. But you see it as a tool. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I right now the next step is the reintegration of that part of me, and you know, yeah, and then family. You know, it's like that's that, and that's it. Like I was saying, lots of kids, five kids, five kids, lots of grandchildren. Christmases filled with thirty, forty people, and just and just being able to be in an environment of love constantly. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful purpose to have. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, you know, there's there's the money needs to have reason, otherwise there's no... Well, otherwise you're just going to blow it. Exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, ultimately the bigger vision is to um, is to create uh, wholeness centres for, for young men. Young men that struggle, homeless, don't have healthy male role models. Mm. I live up in the Gold Coast now. I'm part of a, a like a gym, but it's called Brotherhood Gold Coast. It's a lot more than a gym. And it's a fitness cult. Yeah, it's a fitness cult, you know, <laughs> and we run men's circles and we do a lot of, you know, masculine development stuff. And like, it's all well and good when you can find men like us who can afford 60 bucks a week to kind of, you know, pay for it. But what about the 17-year-old kids, mm. the 15-year-old kids who didn't have a male role model or out on the streets or, are, you know, don't know how to process their emotions like we didn't when we were that, that age? Because if if men have been the the you know the producers of our society you know, they built everything but obviously you know we look we know that there's a massive shift in societal structures how do how do we bring strong healthy masculinity back with the integration of emotional maturity emotional intelligence so that's the personal dream and vision. that's where it's going that's where it's going better get cracking on those kids mate thanks buddy. <laughs> thanks for sharing your story bro absolute pleasure thanks for having me That's it for this episode. If you like what we're all about, support us by following Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Every podcast episode is recorded in professional quality video and they're all up on our Youngblood Men's Mental Health YouTube channel. So please show some love and subscribe. A big thanks to our local business supporters, Pro Realty Property Consultants and Herd Financial. You can find everything there is to know about the podcast at youngbloodmensmentalhealth.com 
And most importantly, please share these stories with anyone in your life who needs to know they're not alone. We're all in this together. Catch you next time.